Hello, it's 10th of February 2018 and this is episode 58 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary, with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? It's been a good week because this week started with Natalie Portman as Padme Amidala again on SNL. Oh god, yeah, you're right. That feels like a lifetime ago because so much has happened right? since. Wow. Oh, that was a surprise. I was not expecting that. So that was awesome. Did you find though that seeing her in that makeup again after all these years, and I'm sure it's obviously also because it's like fancy dress level makeup, you know, it's not the level of makeup quality that you get in the actual films, but I found her almost unrecognisable. So even though I know logically that it's Natalie dressed as Padme in that sketch, she just looks so different. It was really jarring to me. Oh yeah, I think it is supposed to be like a funny version of it, like, because it's half-assed, right? Yeah. Um, and also she's older, like her face shape is a bit different now. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, like it was still always hilarious and like <laughs> rapping about Jar Jar and everything. <laughs> and just having some prequel positivity, like yeah. I, I appreciated that because that, I mean, that's the joke that they were playing on, right? That everyone's like, oh my God, thank God, the sequels are so much better than the prequels. And she's just like, um, so what now? <laughs> I loved it so much the way that um like Natalie is just so like passive aggressive like in those yeah. like parts of the sketch where she's being interviewed and it's obviously all set up to look like an actual formal interview situation and right. she's just like ice cold <laughs> <laughs> and then she'll just like say the most like shocking thing <laughs> yeah. I love it it was really cool and yeah I w- I'd heard that she was gonna be on the show and I was, I was gonna watch it because you know it's still vaguely Star Wars related and she's a great actress anyway mm. um but I was not expecting Padme <laughs> so, yeah very that nice. was awesome she's clearly a good sport and yeah I cannot wait for Annihilation Annihilation looks so oh, effing good seriously yeah. I'm so upset because um Paramount they sold the rights for it internationally so that probably means I won't get to see it in a cinema it's oh no! Going to go straight to Netflix here, and that breaks my heart. But to be honest, it's like, oh. Yeah, I'd heard that that had happened, but I hadn't really thought through the implications of that. Oh, yeah. I'm hoping that it will still be in cinemas when I come to New York, so I can see it somewhere there. Yeah, maybe that will work out. We'll be able to see it together there. I wasn't sure of the release date, but I think the release date is the end of February. But I think in a big city, and hopefully there's like second run theaters and stuff. So mm-hmm. I'm going to hold on to hope. <laughs> But we will see. Yeah, um, apparently it's supposed to be amazing. Yeah. The reactions coming in, so. Yeah, it's really ecstatic, and I loved Ex Machina, so. Me too. I'm always down for good woman-led sci-fi, especially when it's led by someone as, like, especially when it's helmed by someone as talented as Alex Garland, so. Mm-hmm. With multiple Star Wars actors, just like Ex Machina? Exactly, yeah. Like, who'd have ever thought that Padme and Poe would be a romantic couple? Weird, right? <laughs> That's what Poe has to lord over Kylo. <laughs> oh my god, that would really do Kylo in. <laughs> be like, no. There's going to be AU stuff, you just know. Oh yeah, I'm sure. The internet is irrepressible. Um, <laughs> but yeah, this week has been insane for Star Wars news. There's been so much going on. As we predicted last week, um, we got off a solo trailer but more than that, we actually got several solo trailers. That's what I say, we basically got two trailers in the space of 24 hours. Yeah, it's a really weird marketing strategy, to be honest. 
Um, so that actually brings us neatly on to what is the first item of our news section, which is that there are two solo trailers out. And the first was like a Super Bowl spot, and then the second aired on Good Morning America. So the rumours were true, <laughs> basically. Um, and yeah, I think maybe we should just talk about them in turn. Um, with the Super Bowl spot, what was your impression of that, Kirsty? Like when you first saw it? I think I actually preferred the Super Bowl spot to the larger trailer. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure why. Maybe it's the way it ends with um, him looking through what I presume is like a jail cell door or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, it just seemed more tightly edited and focused. Yeah. So, yeah, I was excited to see it. Um, yeah, I think I might prefer the Super Bowl spot as well, actually. Like Mainly because I think it felt like it had a stronger structure to it because it's structured by Han visiting that recruitment office mm-hmm. and then the dude like asking him about what he wants to do and I think that's quite a cool way to frame what is otherwise a series of like disconnected shots it felt tighter for that reason I think yeah so I suppose that part is like earlier because we've heard that the movie is spans about six years right mm-hmm so that's got to be earlier on in the movie. And then the second trailer was like, oh, I got kicked out of the Academy. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I've already kind of got some of the chronology of the story there. Um, it's probably stuff that we can guess because it's Han Solo. He's, I, I know that there's like, it. it's kind of following what the EU told us about Han's origin story, that he was in in the Empire for a while. Mm. Uh, so that's a nice nod to, to EU fans, I suppose. Um, yeah. Sorry, I didn't know where I was going with that. <laughs> no, no, don't worry. That's a good observation. Because, um, yeah, I'm not familiar with how Han was depicted in the EU at all. But I have heard people like make that observation that, yeah, he had a similar sort of background in the books, the old Legends books. So I do think that's cool because it is an interesting backstory for him and I'm excited to see what they do with it. I think I'm also just interested to see a film that takes place over such a significant span of time because... Mm. Yeah, if you think about The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, both those films span maybe like 48 hours, (laughs) like each. You know, it's ridiculous how compressed the time is in those films. So actually seeing a film pan out over a much longer period of time, I think that would be really interesting. I feel like that would be a really interesting way for them to show how... Because I'm jumping ahead again because we've got stuff from the Entertainment Weekly coverage now, but... It seems like they're going with this idea that Han was an idealist in his younger days mm. and then and then slowly became the cynic that we meet at the beginning of Star Wars. Yeah. So I guess it's it's an interesting reverse arc because I, I was wondering what they were going to do. And I know other people have expressed this concern, too, that like when we first meet Han Solo, he's an asshole. Mm. So are they going to have the entire film of him being an asshole? They can't really do that and have you uh, be invested in this character and root for him, which... Oh, it's obviously what they're going for. Yeah. So it's interesting to see how they're kind of they're getting around that in a way that still makes sense for the character. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then with the Super Bowl spot, I'm not sure of anything else specific that lingers in my mind much. There's obviously some cool shots, like I like the shot that looks like it's happening in some kind of club, and there's like a woman in like a gold dress in the middle and people dancing around her. Um, that was a cool yeah, shot. Yeah, lesbian Twi'leks. Yes, exactly. <laughs> I've seen so many people so happy about that for a whole <laughs> range of reasons. Because obviously people are happy because, yeah, lesbian. 
<laughs> which is nice to see in Star Wars. Um, and people are also happy just to see Twilights, I think. Yeah, because... to have some aliens that we recognise from the original trilogy era. Because it's not like Twilight sort of disappeared by the time we get to the sequel trilogy era, but we're not seeing them for some reason. So <laughs> Maybe there was a huge extinction event. <laughs> God. <laughs> I kind of half expected to see them on Canto Bite, but it didn't happen, did it? So Yeah, no, and I have actually seen that as like a repeated criticism, to be honest, of The Last Jedi and the sequel trilogy more generally. People want to see like old aliens that they're familiar with. And mm-hmm. that sort of thing, it doesn't personally bother me at all. I don't care really. But I think it's an easy thing for them to do. So it's like, well, why not put it in there? Because it keeps people happy and it's a nice cool nod to the wider universe. And yeah, what harm does it do? Exactly. Like, I understand why you would need to keep introducing new species. But um, it's such, like you say, it's something that makes lots of fans happy to see. And it doesn't really change anything substantial within the story. Mm. So, yeah, it was cool to see them. Um, Obviously, we have to talk about Lando. Yes. Yes, amazing, and I'm so excited to see all of his incredible outfits because I've missed fashion in Star Wars. Yeah, like I know, I know that Leia was looking amazing. I know Amalyn was looking amazing, but nothing is reaching the level of Padme Amidala for me. So maybe we'll see with Lando. Yeah, I think Lando and potentially even Kira as well. Yeah, her cape was amazing too. Yeah, they both look really badass, and I love their costumes so. I'm optimistic, basically, that we're going to see some really standout threads on these people. So they need to be building us up to Kylo Ren's Imperial robes for episode <laughs> nine. Let's face it. Of course. Yeah, it's going to be really cool to see. Like, I think this movie is going to be very cool visually in terms of like this mix of the gritty... Because Han is presumably not going to be wearing anything fancy throughout the movie. Yeah. Um but then you do have this contrast with his friends who are maybe a bit more ostentatious and have taken different paths in life. And that's shown in a different way in terms of what they choose to wear and what they can yeah. afford to wear. So, exactly. Yeah. I should probably point out at this stage that we are moving more on to discussing the Good Morning America trailer at this point. Um, because, yeah, to be honest, it's hard for me to just recollect exactly what was in both trailers anyway. So this conversation was naturally going to merge. <laughs> Yeah, because there was some overlap, but there was also different stuff that I can't remember what's in what. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, and also because we got them so close together, it's hard to separate them with with the saga trailers or even Rogue One. It's like, oh, you have it clearly defined in your mind because you didn't get another one for several months. Yeah, exactly. Whereas with these two, it's kind of more like they're one big trailer almost. I was just wondering, like, what do you think about Alden as Han so far? that's so funny that's exactly what i was just about to ask (laughs) (laughs) um yeah like i don't think i've seen enough to form a definite judgment on him yeah like in how he'll be as the character and i don't that is stopping the internet (laughs) yeah people are making those judgments oh god well internet will internet let's face it it's depressing but it will always be the way of things um, he didn't like strike me as like the perfect fit for the character like the moment I saw him, which is kind of like the feeling I got with um, Donald Glover as Lando. Like I just saw him and it felt right. I don't think Alden felt right like immediately for me, but I do think he looked good. 
and he sounded good and I liked that there was a sense of fun to the character like the, I liked the way he has this like cheesy grin kind of when he's trying to be all cocky and like acting like everything's great and fine and then it's clearly not and it all falls apart that felt very hand to me yeah the ending moment of the last trailer you mean yeah exactly yeah I love that and I I was really intrigued at that point by their relationship because when she's talking about how long she's known well what does she say like I I know what you are yeah I know who you really are or something like that yeah the way he reacts to that is very hard because you have that front and then the oh god what are you gonna say yeah exactly so I think there's a lot of truth in the portrayal which is nice and yeah um so I'm happy with him so far and I really hope he does a fantastic job and yeah we will see because I don't think anyone can fully judge a performance until they've seen it in its entirety. Mm -hmm. Yeah I was not expecting a two-hour impression of Harrison Ford's Han Solo so if people are wanting that then I think they will be disappointed but I don't want that and I really don't think it would be a good move for them to make. Yeah definitely. Um, Because at the end of the day he's a different actor and they need to do something different with the character. And the Han Solo that we meet in this movie isn't going to be the Han Solo we already know. That's the point. It's a different story. Um, so I hope that fans can be kind to him. But I I don't know. I don't have too much faith in that because people can be horrible. And it's always like this outspoken minority that ruins it. Um, yeah. I mean, we saw what happened with Jake Lloyd in the prequels, right? So mm, Exactly. And I think Han, he's such an iconic character that I think it's harder for people to accept any like perceived replacement for Harrison Ford, like in the case of Han Solo, than is the case of, say, Lando. So obviously Lando's still an important character, but he's not like a lead and on the level of Han Solo, you know? So I think people have an easier time seeing Lando recast than they do Han Solo. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about the only other comparison you could really make is Alec Guinness and Ewan McGregor. But Mm. were people, I know, I'm sure people were attached to Alec Guinness in the role, but he wasn't the character you were supposed to identify with in the way you were obviously meant to identify with the original three heroes. Yeah. So if you project yourself onto the character, which everyone does to an extent, um, yeah, I just, a lot of people also say that Ewan McGregor really does look like Alec Guinness. So... I think maybe it's coming down to like a visual comparison. Exactly. Yeah. Like I, I think it's fine. It's not because at the end of the day, I think we're being introduced to Han when he's like in his late teens in this film. And people do change a lot appearance wise between like late teenage years and when they're 30 years old, especially guys, I think, because guys tend to mature a bit later. So I think that more boyish look from Alden, I think that's appropriate to be honest. Mm hmm. Yeah, so I'm feeling good about the movie. Like, mm. I'm, I, I think it's got a great cast. Um, like, I'm intrigued about by uh, Woody Harrelson's character as well. Yeah, no, definitely. I do feel more excited for the film after seeing the trailers because it's good to finally have something to grasp onto. So I think I was talking about that before the trailers, that it was hard to have any feelings really about the Han Solo movie because... It was just an abstract thing, you know? We hadn't had any imagery from it, really. And it was like, well, I can't get attached to or excited about anything because I don't know what this is going to involve. Um, But yeah, now I have something to grasp onto and I am looking forward to it more, especially in terms of the world building. I like 
the picture that's being built up of this underworld and how it's complicated and how there's these grimy parts to it, but also these sleek and shiny looking parts. Yeah, it looks Mm -hmm. cool. Um, Right, then the next story we're going to talk about is that we have had a whole new series of Star Wars films announced. Um, Because this is such big news, I wanted to cover it at the top of the show rather than leaving it right until the end after we talked about everything that's come out from Solo because there's been lots of coverage, mainly via EW. Um, And yeah, I just felt it was important to get to this sooner rather than later. So we all get to this. Um, Right, and this is from StarWars.com. David Benioff and D.B. Weiss are going from Winterfell to a galaxy far, far away. It was announced today that Benioff and Weiss, creators of the smash hit Emmy Award-winning television series Game of Thrones, will write and produce a new series of Star Wars films. These new films will be separate from both the episodic Skywalker saga and the recently announced trilogy being developed by Ryan Johnson, writer-director of Star Wars The Last Jedi. David and Dan are some of the best storytellers working today, said Kathleen Kennedy, president of Lucasfilm. Their command of complex characters, depth of story and richness of mythology will break new ground and boldly push Star Wars in ways I find incredibly exciting. In the summer of 1977, we travelled to a galaxy far, far away and we've been dreaming of it ever since, Benny often wise said in a joint statement. We are honoured by the opportunity, a little terrified by the responsibility, and so excited to get started as soon as the final season of Game of Thrones is complete. No release dates have been set for the new films, and there have, thankfully, been no sightings of White Walkers around Lucasfilm. Oh, that's cute. Um, so yeah, what were your feelings about this announcement, Kirsty, when you first saw it? Well, my first reaction was, oh my god, more Star Wars, <laughs> because yeah. I feel like so much is coming down the pipeline. Mm. Um, and it's so much that we don't really know anything about yet like with Ryan's trilogy we still have no idea what that's about Um, Mm. so it's like oh wow like we really are going to have a new Star Wars film every year so it's taking a while to get used to that Mm. Um, in terms of these choices I like the show Game of Thrones that's not really an issue for me Mm. I have had to take breaks from it in the past because I find some of the sexual violence just a bit too much Mm. Um, so I've just had to like I don't know, kind of step away from it for a year or two occasionally and then come back to it and catch up. Yeah. Because some what they show is very heavy. Yeah. Um, I've seen all sorts of reactions like, oh, maybe we're going to get an R-rated Star Wars film now or they're going to bring in those specific things that they do with that story. But I'm not sure about that. I think it's just that this is a successful show and mm. uh, maybe they'll bring in some of like the political influences. But I doubt we're going to get like full-on sex scenes in Star Wars <laughs> worried about yeah i don't think it's gonna be like the brothel on mos eisley like being used as like scene setting um yeah i don't think that's why these guys were chosen i think these guys were chosen because they've proven they can create this really like popular zeitgeist winning like series of like what are essentially TV movies because the scope of Game of Thrones is so incredibly vast and the production value is so high. They've proven that they can pull off these very high quality productions and that they can deal well with things like character and mythology and world building and all that jazz. And yeah, I think it's a natural choice to go to them, to be honest. Um, And I personally do really like Game of Thrones. Um, like there are obviously 
elements of it I don't like as much but for the most part I do really think it's great and I really enjoy it like I don't watch much tv but Game of Thrones is one of those few tv shows where I will literally stop everything to sit down and watch it and I will watch it at the earliest opportunity because I find it that compelling so Mm. yeah I'm excited to see what they'll do um I know there's been some like extra stuff about what they're going to be working on I think Bob Iger in like a call to investors or whatever it is they do you know what it's like they have earnings calls and they tell people stuff um i think he said something about the benioff and weiss films being set in a specific period of time um and i know that's got people thinking or oh, are they going to be doing old republic stuff and i think that's possible i certainly think it's more possible that they're going to be doing something in the old republic than uh the ryan johnson trilogy because i really don't think that'll be anything at all we've seen before in terms of setting or characters or anything um but i think there's potential for benioff and weiss to go there so yeah if that does happen that's cool i'm not really familiar with the old republic so it doesn't make much difference to me and i don't really care as long as it's a good story but i know it would make a lot of people happy if they did go back to that period yeah i mean i haven't read the books a song of ice and fire Mm -hmm. that series so uh, i've seen a lot of people kind of mixed in terms of how well they feel they adapted that material and also what they did in the show that was different and whether they can come up with their own material that is as good Mm. so it'll be interesting to see whether they are adapting something that already kind of exists in either the eu or something else that's been worked on by someone else behind the scenes at lucasfilm Mm. um or if they are writing as in like coming up with an original story yeah no that's a good point actually um so there's lots of question marks over what exactly they will be doing on these new films um because yeah like i get the impression they're kind of going to be masterminding this whole new series of films without actually directing them because when you look at the wording of the press release from com, it just says they will write and produce a new series of Star Wars films. So mm-hmm. nothing about directing. So I think that's interesting. So that clearly suggests they're going to be like steering the ship, if you will, in terms of establishing the story and controlling things behind the scenes. A bit like they do in the showrunning capacity of Game of Thrones, but they're not actually going to be behind the camera. And I think that's exciting. So that leaves potential to get like new voices in, like in the directorial positions. Yeah, I guess it raises then interesting questions about how much control those directors would actually have. Mm, um, yeah. Because it does seem to then be producer-led as opposed to director. Because you have someone like Ryan Johnson who wrote and directed. The yeah. Last Jedi is very much his movie. That's true. So it is more like TV, but movies. <laughs> yeah. So again, there's like question marks over will these actually be theatrical films or will they be stuff for the streaming service that Disney's coming up with? Mm. Um, and I, I think that's possible because if you look at like Netflix, like they're investing so much in like getting movies on their streaming service because they know they need all the exclusive content they can get to attract people. And if you think about it, having like films from the showrunners of Game of Thrones that are exclusive to the streaming service, that would be quite a appealing prospect i think although then again i think in terms of how much these films cost that would probably be theatrical but yeah we will see i think anything's possible it's such like a weird time in star wars and it feels like anything could happen to be honest because there's all these crazy announcements that i'm just not discounting any possibility 
yeah exactly we kind of just have to wait and see and not get attached to specific things we want these people to do with their stories so exactly um right do we have anything else we want to say about that um i don't think so but i mean the next article kind of ties in with that a little right because if yeah. we're talking about them filling the director role mm, yeah cool i'll set that up um Yeah, so basically after this news came out, there was a lot of discussion online about the fact that it's looking increasingly concerning that Lucasfilm, all of their hires for the main creative positions behind the scenes at Lucasfilm, in terms of directors and writers, like those sorts of positions, they've all been white males. And there was like discussion of the fact that it looks a bit short-sighted of Lucasfilm to not think more in terms of getting new voices in and new creatives um so yeah I thought it was in worth talking about that in the context of a report that's come out from Slash Film and that goes to the effect of has Lucasfilm secretly hired women and people of colour to develop new projects and the article reads Lucasfilm has taken some flack for almost exclusively hiring white men to shepherd the Star Wars franchise, but is that era coming to an end at the studio? A new rumour indicates that the company has secretly hired women and people of colour to shape the future of a galaxy far, far away. Franklin Leonard, who created The Blacklist, an annual list of the year's best unproduced screenplays, tweeted the following this morning. If the rumours are true that Lucasfilm has hired women and people of colour to write and direct Star Wars films and kept it quiet to respect their privacy, I happily and humbly withdraw my previous criticisms and hope that privacy remains respected. If (laughs) screenwriter Daniel Kunker chimed in and confirmed that he knows at least one woman who's been hired. I know at least one woman who's been hired. (laughs) (laughs) The guy that sounds so dumb. A female writer, right. Oh yeah, that's right. I know at least one female writer who was hired. Additionally, Jeff Snyder at the tracking board said he's also seen these rumours pop up on a Facebook thread featuring multiple well-known screenwriters. So it seems like the secret is out. Hmm. So this is an interesting report about quite a contentious subject. And yeah, I was just wondering if you could talk about what you make of it, Kirsty. Yeah, I mean, if this report is true and women and people of colour are actually being hired secretly behind the scenes and we just haven't been told about it yet for whatever Mm -hmm. reason, that's awesome. Like, I really hope that that's the case and that they announce them as soon as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, Because what we have now, this long list of white men, um, some of who have been fired and replaced, it just does not look good. Yeah. Um, And I, I don't want to, like, I feel like some of the the concerns that fans have are construed as um, unfair criticisms from some people at Lucasfilm. Mm. Like I see people like Pablo Hidalgo kind of dismissing people's concerns about things like this Game of Thrones uh, writer announcement. Yeah. Um, And I think it gets almost like confused with the idea that people are just complaining because they don't like that show. Mm. And it's like, it's not even about those creators in isolation necessarily. It will be for some people because not everyone likes that show and, People have concerns about its depiction of women and things like that. Yeah. And those things are valid too, in my opinion. Um, Mm. So if this is true, then great. Um, Because I think that the main concern is that Lucasfilm originally, when they announced things like the the standalone films, they kind of made this big song and dance about how they were going to pursue young, new talent. Mm. Um, And that clearly hasn't worked out because we got 
complications with Gareth Edwards with Rogue One. Um, obviously, Lord and Miller were let go. Um, so then they've kind of reverted back to more reliable filmmakers, like bringing back J.J. Abrams, Ron Howard, um, the Stephen Doldry rumours that we had for the Obi-Wan spinoff, mm. although we haven't heard of that lately, so who knows how true that was. Um, so the fans were basically told one thing, and then because that didn't work out, which is fair enough, sometimes things just don't, um, mm. there hasn't been kind of another update from Lucasfilm in terms of that. So as far as we know, Kathleen Kennedy and other people have talked about how important diversity is and then not really been seen to put their money where their mouth is. Yeah. So it kind of leaves fans in this weird area where it's like, well, we thought that you cared about this, but then we mm. haven't seen any proof of that. Yeah. No, that's really true. And I, I think it is a valid concern. Like, because like, I've been reading discussions about these rumours about women and people of colour being hired, like, secretly. And I've heard some people speculate that the reason why we might not be hearing about these hires yet is because they don't want to announce that they've hired, say, a woman or a person of colour and then have creative disagreements with them and the projects not happen because obviously that would look terrible based on the track record that Lucasfilm already has. So I've heard that they might be waiting to like see how the projects come along and how happy they are with the projects before announcing anything solid, which I can understand. You could construe it as a bit cowardly, but I think it makes sense from a PR point of view. I actually don't. And I, I know, I'm aware that I'm just a fan of a podcast and there are people who know much more about this stuff than me. Mm. So this is just my opinion. And yeah, I know sure. the internet has lots of uninformed opinions, so sorry to add to that. But I feel like it is bad optics at this point to not announce those people because it then makes it look like you're not interested in working with those people. Yeah, it's true. So, so I guess even if there are creative differences and they part ways, at least it would show that they at least attempted to work yeah, at like least the first place. Yeah. Because in the meantime, you're announcing that you're working with all of these white men and that's what it looks like. Yeah. Um, whether or not it works out with Benny Offenbeis, we don't know. Hopefully it does. Hopefully those days are kind of behind Lucasfilm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you have no problem announcing a trilogy with Brian Johnson and he's in an interview saying, oh yeah, I'm not re- really sure what it's going to be about yet. You know? So it, yeah. I'm sure he's exaggerating. I'm sure he has a much firmer idea mm. and he's working on it as we speak, but he's, you know, they're just kind of playing the game. But to me, it looks kind of bad if you're giving these chances to people and then not to others. Yeah. No, that's a really good point. And I agree with you. So, yeah, I think if these hires have been made, I think it would really be in everyone's interests to announce them. Um, I guess, like, again, in this article, it says that the reason why they might be being kept quiet is privacy for the, on the for the people who have been hired. So I could respect that more as opposed to the decision coming from Lucasfilm themselves. Because like, uh, okay, well, things might go to shit anyway, so let's just not announce it. If it's more the question of the individual screenwriter saying, hey, look, could we wait until we're further along with this? And then, like, I'd be happy for the press release to go out. I I think I can understand and respect that more. Sure. And I think it's important for us to point out, like, obviously, this is a systemic issue. This Mm. is not just about us targeting Lucasfilm. Um, in these discussions it's just that we have a star wars podcast so that's what we're going to talk about but obviously this is an issue with hollywood um but lucasfilm and disney are big parts of hollywood so it's kind of like you know we can talk about it and say 
oh, well, this is just how it works. But at the end of the, the day, these companies, they have the opportunity to change that. Um, of course, it takes time and it's gradual. But if you're looking at things like Black Panther, mm. um, like even Thor Ragnarok, you know, mm. you can just look at these things and think, well, if Marvel are doing it and they are owned by Disney and you're getting just as big names and these movies are just as big budget, I don't know. It it just it makes me feel a bit disappointed sometimes when I look at my favorite franchise and think, oh, I wish you could just do a little bit better. Yeah, no, absolutely. I again, I've heard rumors that the people, um, like who have potentially been hired by Lucasfilm in some capacity, are actually Ava DuVernay and Ryan Coogler, which would be incredible if they are, and it would make sense because obviously they ha- they already have that Disney connection through Marvel. Um, um, well, Ryan Coogler has it through Marvel, and Ava DuVernay has it through A Wrinkle in Time, because mm. that's her big Disney movie that's coming out this year. So yeah, it would be awesome if they're working on stuff, but time will tell and we will see <laughs> so yeah yes. like, if they're waiting to see how a wrinkle in time does before they announce Ava, that's great but at the same mm. time we heard about ryan johnson's trilogy before the last jedi came out yeah absolutely so, i don't know we'll see i'm trying to remain optimistic about it but i feel like i say this every time we get an announcement of another white director or producer or writer so yeah it's like uh, we don't have any say obviously it's not our company so we're just like Mm, yep hopefully eventually yeah but i can you know i sometimes people get tired of waiting and they express that frustration and i feel like it's valid so. yeah absolutely i think we use the word hope more than jinnah so in rogue one it says what. <laughs> it's all we can do right so <laughs> exactly yes, i i still waiting for the day when i have a female director of a star wars movie so yeah no so i think it's worth pointing out as well that it's not like about filling quotas or like this being some kind of like weird obligation. That's not even the point. It's about to create a healthy company and to create interest in new and vital stories. It's mm. only a good thing to get people with different perspectives involved. Right. Because if you think about Wonder Woman, that film so felt so extraordinarily fresh and engaging and exciting. And as far as I'm concerned, that was in large part because it was the first female-led superhero film that was from a a woman's perspective, because obviously it had Patty Jenkins in the director's chair. And I think I felt that in almost every moment of that film. I never felt like Wonder Woman was being objectified or treated like a sexy, like, like, or treated like a sex object, you know? And I think that would have been so easy for like just a male director to do, like un- unconsciously even. So I don't think it's like they go in with these like lecherous intentions as such. It's just they frame things in a certain way just out of habit, just because that's how it's done. And then a woman comes in and she looks at it differently and she actually thinks about those things in a more sensitive way. And I think that's great and a really awesome thing. And yeah, I would like to see that in Star Wars too, please. So yeah, yeah, make it happen. Well, that's another thing I've noticed with a lot of these discussions that go on. People say, and I think a lot of it is that people are just trying to look on the bright side. So they'll say things like, well, maybe they were just the best people for the job. It's like, well, I hope that that is true. But at the same time, these are creative projects. And it's not just a case of the best person for that specific job. It's that they are then creating the story themselves. And they're telling that story from the perspective, because that's how you create art. So mm. the more diverse voices you bring in, the richer the storytelling we're going to get. Yeah. Um, so it's a win win for everyone. And I wish people could see it that way. Yeah. 
So we're getting the sequel trilogy. It's written by men, but we've talked a lot about how it's from Ray's perspective in terms of, and you really see that in the storytelling, like testament to people like JJ, Kasdan and Ryan. They've done a great job so far of telling it from as close to a female gaze as they can. But at the end of the day, there are going to be limitations to that because they are not women. Yeah, um, exactly. So I, yeah, so it's it's an interesting conversation. Absolutely, yeah. And it's a conversation that's worth having. So, yeah. Fingers crossed and we will follow developments. Um, right, then to move back into solo territory, um, I just wanted to point out that we have some pretty kick-ass solo character posters. And this will sound weird, but for me... I actually preferred these posters to the trailers even or at least they left more of an impact on me I think I just really like them because they're so bright and colourful and I just liked how they captured each of the characters it was all really cool to me did you like these posters Kirsty? They are beautiful and I feel like they do really they say something about the kind of genre that they're going for because we've heard before mm. that they're going for a western kind of heist thing which makes sense for Han Solo yeah. But these photo- uh, these posters do a really great job of capturing that. Yeah. And like you say, the colours and the way that they focus on each of the characters. I feel mm-hmm. like, yeah, they're really striking. Definitely. And I really like Kira's poster. And I know this is silly, but I just like the fact that it's that shade of purple. It's just, show- it's just so unabashedly girly that I love it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I was trying to work out if the outfit she's wearing there at first glance, I thought it was like a pencil skirt. It was almost like a 50s-style outfit. But I can't mm. tell if it's the skirt or if it's pants. Yeah, it's trousers, hard. as you would say. <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh, Kirsty, you become <laughs> such an American. <laughs> How weird. Um, yeah, no, looking at it again, I think they're probably trousers. Like, it's in wide trousers. Yeah. Like, or maybe, like, the sorts of trousers where there's, like, a bit of padding around the thighs. They kind of remind me of, like, riding it looks like riding gear, almost. Yeah. I don't know, just combined with the um, the jacket that she's wearing, and maybe the colour as well, it almost gave me like a grease pink ladies vibe. <laughs> yes. Oh my <laughs> goodness, I see that. Yeah, it's really cool. She's just got like a nice jaunty pose. And I like her. So I like Amelia Clark from Game of Friends anyway, so I'm predisposed to like her. But yeah, I think she just looks really cool. Mm-hmm. And Chewy is Chewy. Um, like... <laughs> I like Chewie, but I find it difficult to talk too much about him because he always looks the same. Exactly. <laughs> I'm I'm looking forward to seeing the early years of his and Han's relationship. I feel like that's going to be really touching. And I've already seen tear-jerking gift sets of like their first moments together, as we've seen in the trailer, and then their last moments in The Force Awakens. And it's... Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> rough. Yeah. Then um, with the poster that actually has Han in it I like that he has the classic Han Solo pose mm-hmm. I think that's cool because it's like a homage without actually aping it because I don't think like Alden is actually like trying to be Harrison he's obviously adopting a f- familiar pose but if you look at the face I think he is like making it his own and he's doing his own take on the character still mm-hmm. and those nice solo full lips yes exactly <laughs> very important no, don't apologise. It's continuity. We need to understand where Ben got them, okay? So, And also the luscious hair, the luscious, soft-looking hair. It's very important. It is very It comes back. Yeah. How, out of interest, do you reckon that we're going to get 
like many parallels between father and son in Solo. Obviously, it's impossible to say, but do you see us like getting any kinds of homages to that relationship? I hope we get some. It is hard to say, but I I have hope because at the end of the day, it's written by Lawrence and John Kasdan, yeah. and they co-wrote that scene in The Force Awakens where we see Han and Ben together. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I would hope so. I would hope that that would be not a priority for them, but like that they could insert some things because we're also getting this between eight and nine. Um, so in terms of like experiencing Star Wars as we go along, it'd be nice to get some little tidbits that enrich the sequel trilogy. Definitely. And I know that some people like noticed in one of the trailers that you can see those gold dice in the Falcon. Yeah. Um, so that's already a clear link. It's obviously not like on the nose or conscious at all. It's just a thing that then crops up again much later in the timeline. Um, but it's still a nice nod and it's a good bit of continuity. Mm-hmm. I'm just kind of dying to know what Han did to the Falcon to make it so disgusting after we see it looking so pristine. Oh god, yeah, we didn't even talk about that, did we? <laughs> yeah, no, the Falcon looks swish as hell. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. And on the subject of swish as hell, Lando's character poster is really cool. It's really and great. Again, his costumes, they are so nice. Like it takes you need to be a special kind of guy to wear a bright yellow shirt. <laughs> and he pulls it off very, very well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it looks wonderful. He really does. And he looks very like 70s as well, which I appreciate hugely. Yeah, I think part of that is down to the art style they've gone for, that it is like these little these paintings. Um, but yeah, the moustache as well, that probably adds to it. Yeah, good old stash. <laughs> and I think that like scarf thing he's wearing, yeah, like, it all builds to that glorious effect. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I think we really like the posters, basically. <laughs> Um, right, and then the next thing to discuss is that EW, they've had this huge range of coverage of Solo. Um, I doubt we'll get to everything, um, because, yeah, there's a hell of a lot to cover here, and um, it goes into considerable depth, but we'll definitely try and cover the main things. Um, and the first thing to talk about is that we have a bunch of photos from EW showing like various moments from the movie. And the first one is one of Han and Chewie in the cockpits of... Yeah, that is it is the Falcon before it's remodelled. It's just, as we mentioned before, the Falcon, like before Han got his grubby little mitts on it, it was clearly quite a nice stylish Swiss ship. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so I'm looking at it in pictures and I'm not even recognising it because it's so changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I like this image and there's like a lovely expression of like delight on his face. Like it wouldn't surprise me. This is the first time he's ever flown it, for example, because he just looks in, in his element. Yeah. It's fantastic. Cause we don't, I mean, there are moments obviously in the original trilogy where we see Han laughing and celebrating in that, but I think it is supposed to be a bit of a contrast from the cynical jaded Han overall that we feel like we know. Yeah. This is him young and optimistic and, Foolish, I guess. Enjoy and laugh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's clearly on lots of joy rides. I think in this film. <laughs> um, right then, the next shot is just quite a vanilla shot of Alden as Han Solo, hands on hips. Gives me like a, that old Western vibe which we've mm-hmm. been talking about. Yeah, um, he very much looks like he's out in the Wild West amidst all these like questionable types, <laughs> and he looks yeah. quite at home there. 
Yeah, it looks great. I like the costume. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And then we get Lando. And I think we're going to have a bit more to say about this one because Lando, Lando, Lando. And he looks really cool. I think um, he's playing Sabak. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, Glover actually confirmed he's playing Sabak. And yeah, it's perfect. Because isn't Sabak the game that like Han played against Lando and he won and then he won the Falcon from him in that particular yeah. game? Yeah, sure. It's almost like we're going to get the greatest hits of like Han the early years, isn't it? You know, because we've heard all these stories about these formative events in his history, like the Kessel Run and the Sabak game and meeting Chewie, all those kinds of things. And now we're finally going to get to see them. And there was something really cool about that. Yeah, it's all the stuff that people, you know, it was just kind of like this legendary backstory that you never thought you would actually get. Mm. Um, and I guess depending on how strong people's head cannons are about that stuff, like I, I have never really given that stuff much thought. Like, oh, what does the castle run? How does that go? It's all just kind of like it, stuff that contributes to Han's overall mystique and his like swagger when we meet yeah. him. Like, oh well, I did all this impressive stuff, and you don't know anything, kid, and all that. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see how all of that stuff eventually gets depicted. I guess. Yeah, that's really interesting. And Lando's smile looks great. <laughs> oh, he does. Yeah, I feel like he's he, got that down. Yeah, I feel like he could just be on the verge of saying, "Well, what have we here?" <laughs> you know, it must be a hard line to straddle to figure out how much they, how much of an original performance do they feel like they have to convey, like put their own spin on the character. Mm. But then they do also have to have these little nods to show, yes, we're aware of what came before and how we're kind of trying have this character evolve into the person that you already know them to be yeah. like at the end of the the longer trailer when han's doing his whole we're fine everything's fine like that's obviously supposed to be a new hope han right like yeah fine, how are you yeah um, and then that's what's like oh yes that's han but is it han just because he's kind of doing an impersonation of what we already know han to be yeah it's a really fine line isn't it yeah uh, yes yeah, so i i we should also know that in we haven't heard um we haven't heard Lando speak in any of the right. trailers yet. So yeah. we have no idea how Glover's going to handle that because yeah, Billy cause... D. Williams obviously has quite distinctive vocal delivery when he's speaking right. as Lando. And mm-hmm. I think just as, that's how he speaks, <laughs> I think. Um, but it's so, not yeah. how Donald Glover speaks. So it's like, yes. is he going to do an impression of Billy D, or is he going to just have his own voice? Because, yeah, like it is a younger Lando, so we could buy that. But I feel like it's going to have a little bit of I think it's going to have like a touch of it. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the way to go because doing impressions doesn't really help anyone. But it's still nice to keep it like re- recognisable, as you say. Mm-hmm. All right. Then on the next page, we have a picture of Kira and Han Solo. And in the caption to this picture, we actually have a little bit of background on Kira and it indicates that she and Han grew up together on the mean streets, (laughs) whatever that means. Um, (laughs) And 
yeah, I did feel a little little bit smug when I saw this because after seeing the trailer, I think the GMA trailer, I did say I think Han and Kira grew up together and then they were separated and get back together for whatever reasons. Um, and it's not like it's an extraordinary conclusion to reach because you see them in the speedo in the trailer and they both look quite young and excitable and teenagery. Mm-hmm. And like there's also that line from Kira about knowing who he really is. And that implies that she is familiar with him on a level that no one else was, which, yeah, made me think childhood friends probably grew grew up together. And yeah, that seems to be the case. And I quite like that because in one of the later articles, like they do like indicate that she's a love interest for Han, like, which is fine. It's not particularly surprising because yeah, ladies man. (laughs) Um, But I do like the fact they grew up together as well. So I think that adds an extra layer to it. And I think it, makes it more interesting than her just being like another woman in a long line of women, you know, because she was clearly there with him from when he was a kid. And that makes her like special and important to him in a way that like, another woman might not be. Right. It's like a sweetheart's thing. Yeah. Um, I'm sure people are going to have very different opinions about all of that based on how they perceive Han and Leia, what their assumptions were about that relationship and the backstories of the various characters. Um, mm. I do feel like the the Leia novel we got a few months ago was kind of preparing us for a love interest for Han in the movie, um, yeah. because it showed us that Leia had one. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Amelia Clark is absolutely gorgeous. If you put her in a Han Solo movie, you're kind of going to just going to assume that she's probably a love interest for Han Solo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're platonic work colleagues. (laughs) (laughs) And she looks gorgeous in this photo. Like, I love everything about this. The setting, the outfit, those wine glasses, her hair, the jewellery. Yeah. Great. I think she might just have my favourite female character costumes in Star Wars since Padme. Um, I don't think they're going to top Padme because Padme's wardrobe is just next level awesome. Mm -hmm. But everything Amelia is wearing and all these photographs, she just looks so good. Yeah, it helps as Amelia Clark, but they're also really nice clothes. <laughs> yeah, I probably wouldn't look as good in those outfits. <laughs> yeah, same. Definitely not. <laughs> um, then the next shot is Han and Chewie. <laughs> Chewie's wearing goggles as well. And looks he looks so, dumb. so cool. <laughs> I love how we have um, like diametrically opposed reactions to that. I like it looks so dumb. I, I like mean, it's so cool. Both. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I it's true. That they always think of Han and Chewie as like these dorky friends who are just, yeah, screwing up through life together, getting yeah. into mischief. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's really cool. And yeah, it's from they are basically sat on the end of what is the train scene in one of the trailers, and I think that's actually a really awesome thing because I never thought we would see trains in Star Wars. I don't know why, but that does just feel like an intrinsically strange concept. And... Well, it's such a pedestrian thing, right? I mean, if it's like a freight train, like they're not carrying passengers necessarily, but still yeah. to think about people like being transported <laughs> like that. By train, you just think yeah. of spaceships, yeah. Or like the flying cars on Coruscant, like that kind of Jetsons thing. A train <laughs> just seems so pedestrian. Yeah, no, it's very true. It feels too mundane, I think. And that's a bit like, wow, yeah, I guess not everything can fly. <laughs> um, but yeah, it looks like they're about to do some kind of heist, which I think the text below it confirms and yeah for me because i find odd things funny i hope they fail spectacularly but 
yeah, they might win. Who knows? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll see. In the next shot, we see Han and Chewie on the Falcon with Woody Harrelson's character, um, who is named Tobias Beckett. And yeah, the main thing I get from this, again, is how astonishingly nice the Falcon looks. Mm-hmm. And I think it's like you said, Kirsty, he just made such a piece of crap of it. Like, <laughs> oh, come on, Han. Yeah, it has this really cool mid-century vibe. Mm, definitely. Like, Han, how did you trash this beautiful ship? What a piece of junk. Like, come on. La- I like that you can see Lando's stamp all over it as well. It's like all that yellow upholstery. I think that's all Lando, basically. Yeah, it almost and then Han like clearly the... came in and stripped it out. Yeah, it almost looks like a version of the ship that they have in The Last Jedi that DJ steals. Yeah. But it's very stylish on the inside. Yeah. No, it's surprisingly stylish, which I appreciate very much. With Woody Harrelson, he's a fantastic actor. Like We were just talking about three billboards that I saw last mm. night and you saw a while ago. I just think yeah. he's so great. And um, if people have, like, I've seen a lot of people in the fandom talking about his character in The Hunger Games. Is mm-hmm. it um, Hamish? Is that who he plays in that? I I've think only so. seen it once. I, I guess that's the big comparison to draw because he will be something of a mentor character and that's a, another big franchise. But he has such a varied career that I feel like people should maybe look into more stuff that he's done. Like, if people haven't watched True Detective, go and watch True Detective. Yeah. He's so amazing in that. Yeah, I don't think Hunger Games is peak Woody Harrelson. Yeah, but I feel like people are putting him into that role because of what we're assuming about Tobias, right? That he's like this jaded old mentor. But we could yeah. be pleasantly surprised and there could be more to it because he he has the talent. So Yeah, exactly. So hopefully there's a bit more to the role. Um, then on the last page, there are finally three more shots. One is of the Falcon. And... Yeah, it's the kind of shot where I struggle to talk about it because it's a ship. I know it's a beloved ship because it's the Falcon, but it's like, yep, it's a ship. It's flying and there's an X-Wing next to it that looks in trouble. I mean, it looks different, right, on the outside. They've got the points, like, it's all connected at the front. Yeah, doesn't it have a longer nose than Mm. we're used to seeing? Yeah, I mean, I'm... Again, if people want to talk about this kind of ship, they will go to different podcasts than ours because <laughs> we are obviously not the experts. But yeah, it, I just like that they're um, they're going with something different for a ship that has been so iconic in the saga and yeah. to show that passage of time and maybe to say something about Han as a character that the Falcon's being used as this metaphor for his arc. So yeah, it'll be interesting. I'm impressed. You found something very good to say there. Well done. Um well, I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, you know, obviously joking, but like, oh, if, if Han took as much care of his son as he did the ship that he supposedly loved so much, no wonder he went to the dark side. <laughs> like, oh my God. <laughs> but it's like, what did he do? Like, if he loved this so much, why wasn't he taking care of it? So I, maybe we'll get an answer, maybe we won't, but it's like, come on, Han, take a bit of pride in your vehicle. Yeah, exactly. It's a bit like, oh, come on, you can do better than that, man. <laughs> Right, then the next shot is of L337, who, which is, oh god, I hate pronouns of droids. No, um, who is um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character? So all we know really about the droid is that she's more human. And I think there's also separate stuff about her later on. So we'll talk about her more then. Um, do you like the look of the droid, Kirsty? Yeah, 
like I'm really intrigued by the relationship she has with Lando and mm. we'll get to it later with the article um, about her specifically but I'm really interested in this backstory of the fact that she's kind of modified herself over the years so she's yeah. like a self-made droid I think that's really interesting yeah same I do think that's cool and it's something we haven't seen before especially when you compare it to someone like 3PO where he's kind of like helpless and dependent on the humans <laughs> like putting him together whenever they could be asked mm-hmm I do think calling her Lee is like super dorky and lame, but whatever. <laughs> like, I don't even understand that. Like, could you explain it to me? Okay, well, I mean, it, it's this almost ubiquitous practice on the internet now, but like, you know, when you see words, but some of the letters are replaced with numbers? Oh. That's Lee, but it's oh, like. Oh, so a like super... if you have a word with a, with an O in it and they use zero? Yeah. Oh, okay, right. Yeah, Once upon a time sense. when the internet was new, that was a thing. Now it's just like taken for granted. <laughs> yeah. We don't need a name for it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's dorky. Yes. Um, then the last photo is of mud troopers on Mimbun. And yeah, do you get anything <laughs> from this, Kirsty? <laughs> Um, that it's like dirty and gritty and it's just supposed to kind of evoke that mood for you as opposed to tell you something substantial about the story I, I mean okay so if you look at the description underneath I do think that this is intriguing Um, I have never read Splinter of the Mind's Eye I, mm-hmm. I'm going to at some point because I think it would be hilarious to like read a novel where they're still hinting at sexual tension between Luke and Leia before <laughs> Before oh, I read it purely for those parts. It's and really is it worth funny. it? Yeah, it's really, yeah, really okay. funny. It's a bit gross as well because Luke has really intimate thoughts about her. Um, yes. But... That's going to be so good. <laughs> you perv, no. <laughs> Pure comedy. Cringe. Love it. Yeah. And it's Alan Dean Foster, obviously, from the Force Awakens novelization claim to fame. My like, favourite legend. On. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, that's on my list. But what's interesting is that this photo is supposedly set on a planet that's in that book. So Hmm. I do like, again, that they're kind of throwing these nods to things in things that aren't canon anymore. Because, of course, in Leia getting together can't be canon. But um, that novel was written before they knew that there was going to be a sequel to Star Wars, right? Uh, Yeah, that's right. I think it was actually written to, like, provide like a template on which they could base the sequel if they wanted to like make a sequel on the cheap. Okay. Because yeah, like the setting is like quite easy to do for a low budget movie. You you you'll realize when you read it. Mm-hmm. Um and yeah, like but luckily that didn't happen because Splinter's Splinter of the Mind's Eye is not great. <laughs> um it's funny in an ironic way, but it's not great. Right. Then the next thing to talk about is there were a series of separate articles on the movie um, published by Anthony Brosnikin. And yeah, we can't talk about every single one, but we are going to talk about some of the most interesting ones. They're basically going to be greatest hits, so we're not going to discuss every single comment that was made. We're just going to read out a selection of the comments and then discuss those. Um so yeah, Kirsty, I was wondering if you could read out the interview excerpts I've included from the article about Alden. Mm-hmm. How would you characterise the journey this character is on? I think it tells the story of a young man pursuing a dream to get out of his pretty rough upbringing. And a lot of the story is him trying to make this dream come true and finding out that it's a lot harder than he imagined. Anthony, 
he seems like someone who didn't have a lot of people who cared about him at a young age. So he goes through life with shields up, Holden says. Yeah, that's all basically right. One of the things, the fun things about this movie, but also one of the things that really shapes him, is that it takes place in a real dark underworld of the Star Wars universe. Let's talk about the other people in this character's life. Kira, Amelia Clark's character, is a big part of young Han Solo's early years. What do we need to know about the two of them? Yeah, they've known each other for a long time, and she's a very important person in his life. Is she more savvy than he is? Less idealistic? How would you contrast their personalities? I think she has a slightly different way of handling herself in this tough universe. She's better at working the system rather than bucking against it. Solo also meets Chewbacca for the first time in this film, and Ron says it's not an instant love connection. Wookiees take a lot of effort before trusting someone, right? Well, I think with anyone you meet in these tough worlds, trust doesn't come easily, and both of them are very strong-willed. That brings us to Lando. Will this movie show us their first encounter, or does Han know him already from years past? Han and Lando meet in this film, and I, I meet L3. Are they rivals? Friends? Enemies? Something in between? I feel like they should also slip in lovers. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Something in between, I mean, come on. Uh, yeah, no, it's true. It's good chemistry. I do feel like people are going to be shipping Hannah Lando more than ever after this movie. Oh, sure, yep. yeah. That's very hard to answer without giving things away, but I will say that their relationship is many different things. Lovers, as it is when you see them in the originals. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> You're so bad. <laughs> I feel like really awkward reading these two parts. I'm like, it's not probably not clear what's the question and what's the answer. Sorry, I probably should have um, been one part. Um, we can do that for the next time, maybe. Because another part of it is that it, it almost seems like they're trying to drag answers out of Alden. He doesn't seem like someone who's comfortable talking for long lengths of time. Yeah, that's what I found. I found he seemed really disengaged, to be honest, in the whole interview. It's hard to know. I almost feel like because of all the secrecy, it's like they're not sure how much they can reveal. Because when he's asked mm. about um, Kira, yeah, he's not very forthcoming. Whereas because... Amelia Clark is being asked about her own character. She's like, "Oh yeah, they're romantic." Yeah. So, and and she's probably not sure what she's allowed to say either. So yeah. Well, Amelia <laughs> Clark is actually astonishingly frank. She says a hell of a lot, which yeah. we'll get to. So I just wonder if Alden's a bit more like, "Oh, I don't know what I can tell you." Yeah, he's probably uh, terrified. Yeah. So this bit's interesting. Um. You know, they're going back to this notion of Han as having a dream of wanting to get out of the situation that he's in, right? Mm. So um, Anthony says, can you say what his dream is? I assume it's bigger than Smuggler. I can't say exactly, but it definitely involves independence and calling your own shots. I thought the Castans did a wonderful job of kind of retroactively coming up with what kind of background would lead him to become the character we all know. Mm. Anthony follows up, can you explain independence? Do you mean he just wants to call his own shots or is he indentured in some way? Well, one thing that you kind of know about the Star Wars universe, but that you learn in a much more impactful way as you get into it, is that living in that universe is hard. Most people, especially during the reign of the Empire, are under the control of some kind of force or another. No pun intended. (laughs) Having the resources and stability to call your own shots, do what you want, have freedom, isn't something that comes easily. So Han's dream involves making that happen for himself. I definitely find that the most interesting part of the whole interview of Alden, to be honest. Yeah, I feel um, like it gives us a taste of the arc. Yeah, and it provides a nice anchor to the character um, because I think it's easy with a new Hope Hand to look at him and just see this like ruthless capitalist up until the point when he realises, oh, I actually like these people, I want to help them. 
and he becomes more like self-sacrificing at that point and just wants to help the cause. And I do think that's true in that film, but I think it actually makes the character more interesting if we actually explore why he's so keen on that materialistic like goal of just getting the money he needs like paying off Jabba you know like why is it so important to him that he just has this like money he needs to like get by and live in comfort because presumably at some point he wanted to do more than get by he wanted to be like assured and comfortable Mm -hmm. yeah and I feel like that makes his choice to firmly join the rebellion even more poignant Mm. Um, because it's not just that he comes to care about Luke and Leia, but that if we're being told through this movie that his whole goal was to be uh, self-reliant, obviously he was with Chewie, so he wasn't like totally alone, but that he was calling his own shots, that he was financially independent, and that he didn't feel like he had to rely on anyone. Um, Opening up to other people and joining this cause that was bigger than himself, that's a huge deal. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it was really interesting. And I like the picture of the character it creates because, yeah, like I think Han, for me, he has always been the kind of flat character. He's been very charismatic and likeable and I've always enjoyed him and liked watching him. But I think I've said before that he only really became interesting to me in The Force Awakens because I felt like he had so many more layers to him as an older man. But... Yeah, here I feel like I might be getting a sense of the depths he had when he was actually still a young man. And then that might throw the whole character into like a new light watching him in the later films, which is quite exciting. Mm. I think I'm coming at it from a very different perspective because he is my favourite. But uh, for lots of different reasons um, and not necessarily because I think he's also deep. Yeah. Um, I just I love Harrison Ford's performance of the character. Mm. Um, and I just relate to that anti-hero aspect because he does have a lot of his own stuff going on and his own hang-ups about relying on other people. Um, mm. And I just feel like that, in a lot of ways, was more relatable to me than what Luke was going through. Mm. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I think I was always more of a Luke person, but that's just because I saw him as a big old nerd. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I could relate to too. that. He's just better at hiding it, or so he thinks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I think Kid Me probably didn't recognise that he was a nerd in hiding. <laughs> Yeah, just one more thing I'd like to mention quickly is that we did actually have um, an interesting interview comment about um, the relationship between Ford and Alden because they met before Alden started shooting the film. And I think it's just worth bringing up. It's like comments made by Kathleen Kennedy. What Ford did so beautifully for Alden was he talked a lot about what he remembered when he first read Star Wars and what George had done with Han, who the character was and the conversations he had for so many years with George about how that character developed. Kennedy says, he gave Alden that kind of insight which was invaluable. There were several times in the course of making the movie where Alden would actually recount some of the things that Harrison had pointed out. I think that was really, really helpful to him. And yeah, this is obviously just a bit fluffy and it's like a way of pandering, to be honest. Say, oh look, we have Harrison Ford's approval. He's working with this dude to get it right. Um, But I do genuinely think it's nice that they had that slight collaborative aspect and that he was able to have that conversation because... I think that when you're taking over such an iconic role, you kind of need to have that. Otherwise, it feels a bit like you're killing the past, to quote, I know, <laughs> um, when you actually need to integrate the past somehow into what you're doing to move things forward. Yeah, I think we knew a while ago that Harrison and Alden had met for lunch. 
Um, mm-hmm. So I figured that it would come up at some point during the promotion because they do want to show that this actor has given his approval. Uh, yeah. I've got to say that I prefer it when we see the more Frank <laughs> Harrison being like, you know, at Celebration when um, Anthony Caraboni at the Star Wars show asked him if he was going to watch Han Solo as a fan and he just point blank said no. <laughs> yes. And George Lucas was stood right there too. <laughs> I definitely think that's more honest. Yeah. <laughs> I appreciate those because it's no secret that Harrison Ford I, I it's not to say that he didn't like being part of Star Wars I think he was just tired of it pretty early on and then yes. has you know he's decided to come back and I'm sure the money was a big part of that for The Force Awakens and the condition was yes okay but this really has to be the last one yeah. um, but at the end of the day he probably still cares about it ha- being done well so he might not watch it and care about it on a personal level, but he knows that it matters a lot to other people. Mm. So. Exactly. Yeah. Like, I like Harrison. He, like, he, there's no pretense about him. Exactly. Which I appreciate. Um, right. To keep things moving, we had a separate article on Lando, which involved an interview with Donald Glover. So, some highlights. In the film, you're paired with Phoebe Waller-Bridge's character, L337, how would you describe their relationship? I think they're both kind of self-made, and they get each other that way. It's lovingly contentious. I don't know if me and Phoebe were like this, because I just love her. Being in a movie of her is kind of a blessing I didn't even know I wanted. But she is also so smart, she calls me out on it. It's just cool to have somebody like that around, you know? Really funny and really honest. We see the Millennium Falcon under Lando's ownership, and it is a very different looking ship. What do you think the Falcon reveals about who Lando is? He's a very particular person with particular tastes, and he likes the comforts of life. I would live in it right now, to be honest. In between takes, they'd be like, okay, we are going to set up for the next shot, so you can go and sit in your chair or whatever. And I'd be like, actually, I'll just stay in Lando's room. It was that nice. I would just lay in his bed and read a book or write something, because it is very comfortable. I think he likes to be comfortable. He's not a cowboy kind of guy. How would you define Lando's personality as a younger guy? How do he and Han differ? He likes to know his way in and out of any situation that he's in. Lando likes rules because he's somebody who's in a position to benefit from rules. By getting around them? He's smart enough to figure out a way to like get out of things, like loopholes. And I think Han is more of a rule breaker and he can kind of get away with it. You got guidance from Billy D, but how would you say you made Lando your own? What did you contribute to this galactic operator? I always like seeing younger characters when they are in younger times because it tells a lot about how they got to where they are. Like, when I was a teenager, I felt I knew a lot, but I didn't. By the time we meet him in The Empire Strikes Back, he owns the city already. So I wanted to show the person he was before that was even possible. Like, I don't even know if he thought that was possible at the time. So he's a little less together. I think he's probably a little more over the top because he's not old enough to be like, you don't have to push so hard by the time you're in the city. By then he's like, I don't need to prove anything to anybody, you know? (laughs) Um, I really like these comments. And again, I think they really flesh out the character in interesting ways and they make me excited to see what they've done with him. Mm -hmm. I especially like the point that Lando is someone who likes the comforts in life because I think that's really... I think that ties really well into what we see of the character in Empire because obviously by that point he's in charge of a city and he clearly has quite a high standard of living 
And in Empire, we see him actually not willing to sacrifice that standard of living, even for his friends. Mm -hmm. And obviously, he goes back on that and changes his mind. But I think having this kind of background to the character informs that sort of behavior later on. Yeah, and I like the idea of his idea of working around the, the system, like working around the rules and finding those loopholes is such a contrast from Han, who is like, oh, rebel without a cause kind of thing. We'll figure it out later. We're just going along. Um, and it sounds like Kira is kind of in the same boat as well. Yes. Um, working the system as opposed to Han is just like, oh, they kicked me out of the academy because I had a mind of my own. <laughs> <laughs> Very young rebel kind of thing. So. Yeah, exactly. Like you say, it's quite telling about both characters. And... Yeah, like Lando and Kira, they're pe- clearly people who work within like certain like rules and frameworks, and like even while twisting them and bending them to the limit. Whereas Han just doesn't give a crap, <laughs> which we like about him. That's why he's nice. Um, yeah, and I also like this suggestion that Lando's going to be more over the top in this film because that is true. I think Donald's right. Like when you're a kid. You are all about proving yourself and you can often do all sorts of like ridiculous like things to grab attention and declare to the world that this is who I am. So yeah, that sort of mindset makes sense of the garish yellow shirts. Yeah, that he feels he has to carve out his own identity and then once he's achieved a level of, su- of success, he can relax a little bit and mm. yeah, enjoy that. Exactly. Um, yeah, is there anything else you want to say about Lando based on these comments? I don't think so. I mean, none of it's like hugely shocking. Yeah, it's all kind of stuff that we could probably d- infer from the photos and just kind of what they're setting up with the trailer. Yeah. Um, even though, like you say, we haven't we haven't heard him speak yet, but we already kind of have a sense of who Lando is as a character. Exactly. Um, yep. And the next interview is with Amelia Clark, where she discusses her character Kira. And do you want to go for this one, Kirsty? Sure. Kira and Han Solo go back to their childhood, so can you characterize the setup of their relationship? Well, they grew up as comrades, essentially. They grew up as pals, as partners in crime. There is obviously the romantic side of things, but they grew up together, so they were kids together. And the beautiful thing about this Han Solo story is it's highlighting all of the most brilliant aspects of Han Solo the character and characterizing those aspects and characters that he meets on his journey to becoming who he is. So these people all represent different sides of who he becomes. That's kind of the story, really. Seeing all of these different elements that make up who he is through the people and the interactions and the relationships, just as we all do as human beings. We are simply the embodiment of our experiences, essentially. They're guiding him, inspiring him, maybe corrupting him. You see the beginnings of him, this lovable rogue. You get it fine-tuned throughout these relationships. And Kira is one of those relationships that has an impact on him as a character. I mean, hopefully, if I've done my job. And within that relationship, the thing that, that, that you see with Kira is that she's an enigma. So through her, he learns not to show his cards to people. She's a little bit of a tough one to get a hold of, really. There's this underlying joy in an origin story because you know where they end up. And Kira is nowhere to be seen, so something has happened. You know what I mean? The film will give us a reason why he doesn't talk about her. Something must happen to affect him as a person. But for us fans not to know about her, twists happen and there is this great idea of trust. And who do you trust? And how do you trust? And which side of the tracks are either character from or going to? 
The filmmakers described her as a femme fatale in this movie that is partly a film noir. It is. Mystery. There is a thing throughout the relationship you just can't put your finger on, and that's Kira. Every time you think you've got her number, you realise you haven't at all, which is really hard to play. The goal is that the shadow of Kira is there in Han as a character that we know. This girl is another texture that makes up who he is when we first meet him. What is Kira doing when we first encounter her? From the trailer, they're in a speeder trying to escape some stormtroopers. The point where you meet her, she's with Han. They are both doing what they've got to do to survive, and that's Kira the whole movie. The whole way through, she's surviving, and surviving in the underworld that we know to be filled with smuggling, aloof gamblers, wrong side of the tracks, nasty ones. It was beautiful they touched on it very briefly in The Last Jedi when they're at the racetracks. Do you remember when they were talking about what that world is? On Canto Bight, where they were talking about the ugliness behind the money and the power? And that's our world. I mean, it's not the racetracks and it's not Canto Bight, but we have the main storyline talk about what the smuggling, gambling, black market world is like. It's dangerous and it's sordid and it's ugly and it's really, really dark. There are loads of different gangstery elements running through it. It's been really fun to pick Kira in that. She has a couple of guises, but essentially she's just fighting to stay alive. Okay, here's my favourite part, and I mean, least (laughs) favourite. We're seeing a lot of strong women in the Star Wars movies now, with Rey, Jyn Erso, Rose, Phasma, Ahsoka, Padme, Holdo, and others now standing alongside Leia. Does Kira fit into that tradition of strong warrior women? Oh, hell yeah. I'm never going to take a job that doesn't tell that story because I think it's a very important narrative that we are telling all ages at all stages. And whilst it's Han Solo's movie, this girl gets to be badass and strong and has her own journey. Kira's journey is definitely one of survival and strength. The way that I felt about her was, yeah, this girl has got a core of steel. As the dad of a little girl who loves Star Wars, I'm glad there are a lot of strong women for her to choose from. A lot of variety now. Very much. And there is a female presence for this movie. Han Solo is only surrounded by strong women. He doesn't know any woman who doesn't stand up for herself, has got game and chops and intelligence and wit. Those are the only women in his life. And then he meets Leia, so it all kinds of falls into place. Okay, so Kirsty, at this point, I'd like you to explain to me what a non-strong woman is. Oh, I'd love to know. Yeah, I'd quite like to know. Um, Like, yeah, I'm just racking my brains. Nope. No, it's not coming to me. Sorry. <laughs> it's like... It's like I, it's very well-intentioned, these kinds of comments about strong women and strong warrior women. Like, it comes from a very, very good place. And it's basically just him saying, we have a lot of really great female characters in Star Wars, don't we? Is Kira part of that tradition? And of course the answer is yes. She's not going to say um, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, no, she's not part of it at all. She lets it all down, to be honest. She's crap. Um, it's just not no <laughs> um, yeah so it's kind of like no shit Sherlock basically um, in the first place and I think the reason why it's just disappointing to see these buzzwords used over and over and over again in conversations about the female characters of Star Wars is that it's just so dull it is. it's so incredibly dull it's like think about the names listed here so you have Rey, Jyn so Rose, Phasma, Ahsoka, Padme, Holdo all of those characters are so vastly different that in any sane world you would not like include their names in a string like that mm-hmm. you wouldn't have like Anthony would not go to Alden and say so Han Solo is comes is like continues the line of strong male characters in Star Wars like Luke Skywalker, Lando Calrissian, Darth Vader, Grand Moff Tarkin, 
you, you get what I'm saying here. Like, they're all just characters, and they're all so, so different in terms of their temperaments and how they're written and how they behave and what they do in the narrative, that it's just meaningless to group them together like this. But for some reason, it's what's done with female characters, because reasons and yeah it's just I wish it wouldn't happen it's incredibly boring and I I feel like it's just this ridiculously I'm trying to I'm not trying to be nice here actually I like (laughs) and like you say I also agree that I think it's well-intentioned but it's just this level of bland performative feminism and being an ally that's like yeah girl power strong women it means Mm. nothing it's just a buzzword and what are we saying? That these characters are well-written? Sure, mm. that they all have their own motivations and they have their own stories within a bigger narrative. Say that mm. then. Like yeah. like you say, celebrate their differences. Don't lump them all together and be like, strong warrior women, because that it just erases all of their nuance. Yeah. Like, it's not, it doesn't mean anything. And I'm, I'm really tired of it. Like, mm. I feel like it's such an easy way for people to pay lip service to this notion of feminism, but it's not because it just treats all of these female characters as if they're interchangeable and they're not. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, I wouldn't even really consider any of those characters warriors as such. That's not like a quality I think any of them really have. Um, and maybe Ahsoka. Yeah, maybe Ahsoka. Like, definitely the most to her. But for the majority of them, I don't think it applies at all. And again, I think that points out the issue of applying a single descriptor to all of these vastly different characters, because it's very reductive, and you're kind of erasing those aspects of the characters that make them interesting. Yeah, I will say the one thing that I did appreciate about it is that Padme was acknowledged as a good female character in Star Wars, because a lot of times she does just kind of get ignored because people prefer to pretend the prequels don't exist. Yeah, and she is a great nuanced female character, um, mm. but for a long time people had this notion of her as someone who was weak because she was there as part of Anakin's story. Yes, but she did have her own things going on. Yeah, and you can make a big case for the Phantom Menace being her story, and she was the protagonist. Yeah, so that part I do appreciate, but I'm yeah. just really bored of this being like the thing that they have to take to all of the actresses. At any time mm. there's a new female character in Star Wars, it's like, well, is she strong? Like, what the hell yeah. does that mean? Like, yeah. it, it's okay to have characters that have vulnerability and weakness yeah. and make mistakes. Does that mean mm. that they're not strong if they fuck up? Yeah, like, what's exactly. What's the definition here? Yeah, it's kind of like, so does that make it taboo for this woman to be vulnerable or cry or do something that might be considered feminine in the old way you know like the scary old times before like 2005 or whatever it was you know because mm-hmm. i could swear in these people's minds there's some kind of like mystical barrier separating like the good times for representation of women in cinema from the bad times <laughs> with the bad times apparently being when women were weak i guess because now they're strong and... i don't even agree with that because i see a lot of people being like well you know in older movies Women weren't depicted great. Like, there are a lot of older movies I love that the women are witty and fantastic and have their own stuff going on. Oh, yeah, no, are... no, no. I completely agree with oh, you. Oh, no, I'm I know. I'm not that that's too. like a false yeah. argument. Like, yeah. Like, the idea that there weren't, like, strong female characters in the past in cinema history, that's completely ludicrous. Like, look at, like, Betty Davis movies. Exactly. Like, like you know, those kinds of films. Like, 
though in many ways those sorts of films about women they're far better than anything hollywood is making now and that character is hella strong but she's hella complicated as well you know like the kind of woman betty davis plays in now voyager mm-hmm. you know joan crawford elizabeth taylor there are so many fantastic actresses of a different era that had all of these incredible roles so it's mm. not to say that like now we've come out of the dark ages and suddenly we have all these strong women yeah it's kind of demeaning to be honest to cinema history to like even suggest that but yeah like i think we made our feelings very clear on that word choice yeah i mean i expect to hear it for a long time to come because it's yeah. on this very easy shorthand way for people to display their wokeness um yeah but it just means so little i feel like it's very quickly on the way of like the girl power thing it's like just yeah. this token thing that means nothing and naturally i feel like it does a little bit of damage so yeah yeah exactly um to talk about this interview more generally um i found this interview the most revealing in terms of i think Amelia definitely says the most about what's going on with her character and her role in the film and i think sometimes and unless she's really misleading us i think sometimes she's really signaling where things might be going for this character yeah which is kind of a bit like Amelia, you might want to like hold that back a bit more yeah because she's like oh well who can you trust it's like okay so is she gonna betray han and break his heart <laughs> yeah exactly it's like if that is what happens she's certainly not being subtle about it let's put it that way um but yeah like i i like what she's saying um like especially the part about they grew up as pals partners in crime because even though there is going to be this like romantic connection is not just going to be this idea of her like as this swooning love interest she's not going to be like a bond girl like one in a long line of like love interests that Han Solo has had in his womanizing days um and I appreciate that it's nice that we're going to see Kira as more of a peer to him and I think making her his childhood friend that's a good way of doing that I I kind of like see there potentially being this almost like Oliver Twist sort of set up for them when they're kids Mm. you know with like them being like used like to pick pockets and that sort of thing and them like running along the streets of probably Corellia Um, so I don't think we know yet where they grew up but it's reasonable to assume Corellia because I believe that's where Han comes from yeah I mean the shot that we have of them in the car what do you call it a speeder sorry yeah (laughs) that was very American how dare you you fake Star Wars fan (laughs) it's obviously supposed to like allude to things like American graffiti right so that's probably Ron Howard making an odd or he was in that movie um yeah and it fits with that notion like you said, it was it's like a very teenage trope, right? Of impressing the girl by driving really fast. And yeah. I think it'll be cute. It is cute. <laughs> and yeah, so I like the starting point for their relationship. And yeah, I also like this suggestion that Kira has lots of different guises and she's like a real survivor and she keeps on like reinventing herself in order to get by in this like really cutthroat, wo- cutthroat world. I find it interesting because if she is still a criminal, and I think the implication is that she does remain a criminal as an adult, then she probably has a long list of enemies. So that would explain why she constantly needs to have all these different outfits and be moving around all the time in like different glamorous circles because she probably can't stay anywhere too long. Yeah. So it, maybe there's this like idea that they do know each other, but she's almost always trying to like shield herself from him and doesn't feel like she could be vulnerable with him or something. Mm. So there's a lot of like smart 
like witty banter between them and they very rarely like show this softer side to each other but this is me just writing fan fiction sorry ignore me (laughs) (laughs) yeah no i would like that like it's very tropey like all the the femme fatale that you can't touch and get close to yeah she has all these disguises and it's it's you could look at end of a way like a very cynical way and be like oh it's the not manic pixie but you know what i mean where it's like she's there in his story to be like this mysterious figure Mm. yeah like the unattainable woman almost yeah i mean you you were saying that you're a bit concerned that she's not going to have too much of an arc herself and that it's Mm. kind of like because this is the danger with this kind of movie it's probably very hard because at the end of the day it's an origin story for a character we all know and are hugely invested in and then yeah. she's being written to be part of his story. So it's like, how do you make sure that she's a great character in her own right? Yes. And not just there as part of his arc. Yeah, exactly. Like, I do think that's like always a slight concern with these kinds of situations where you have a female character as like a side character and obviously a supporting character in this guy's story. Um, but you're right, obviously, like, it is Han's story, so it makes complete sense that she's serving his story, and that should be the case, because it's not Kira, a Star Wars story, <laughs> in which case it would be different, and yeah, she should be, totally be the, the focal point. Um, but yeah, like, I do feel like my concerns were alleviated at least a bit by what Amelia is saying here, because she does say that Kira does still have her own arc, and she clearly has, like, her own existence independent of Han, because... Yeah, it looks like he went off to the Imperial Academy for a time, and then she went off and did her own thing, and presumably found her own place in the criminal underworld, separate from him. And yeah, that's important. It's interesting to see who they become when they're separate from each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe we get side material at some point that goes into her her story there. Yeah, I think there's lots of potential for that. Um, Right, then the next article we're going to talk about is about Solo's rogues gallery, which is discussing all the various ne'er-do-wells in the film. We're not actually going to read this out, like, word for word, because time is short. And, yeah, we'd be here forever if we read out the whole thing, so it's important to be selective, basically. Um, yeah, so the first character to discuss, really, in these, in this article is Beckett, played by Woody Harrelson. And yeah, there's some interesting stuff here. Um, the Kasdans talk about having reread um, Treasure Island, the Robert Louis Stevenson book, and say they were going for a similar mentor apprentice relationship to that between Long John Silver and young Jim Hawkins. Have you read or watched any adaption of Treasure Island? Kirstie? A long time ago, but yeah, I wouldn't same. be able to like bring it up now and talk about it in depth. <laughs> so <laughs> no, nor could I. But I, I kind of get what they say they're going for here, right? That. You have this character who has a lot of potential and then he's kind of taken in um, by someone who has, well, kind of nefarious goals. Like, come on. Obviously, there's this like maybe unspoken thing there where it's like, yeah, there's this older character who's taking advantage of younger people who don't feel like they have other opportunities. So, yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's interesting. And I like the suggestion that even though he's like a real hardcore criminal and he's obviously not a good guy to be like steering these kids into a life of crime, <laughs> um, like they still make it clear that because he's played by Woody Harrelson, there is going to be more depth and nuance to him than that, 
Which right, I, I doubt that he's going to be just shown as this like villain person with these kinds yeah. of mentor relationships, um, especially in like a criminal underworld setting. There's always this idea that they're like trying to look out for the kids that they take under their wing in an almost twisted way, um, mm. but to the best of their abilities. So they're like, it's a cool yeah. world and we do what we do to survive and I'll help you. Um, but yeah, I think that those relationships can be very interesting and I'm looking forward to seeing how they portray this because Woody is very talented and I feel like they could do mm. a lot here where they show that he has a lot of regrets in his own life and, mm. and you know, is just trying to make the best of what he has. Yeah, so I think you even find that in like Oliver Twist, right? And that that those kinds of stories, because it isn't like Fagin, like he actually cares like for the kids on a certain level, even though he's relentlessly exploiting them. Right, it is this complicated, messy thing, isn't it? That it depends on how you look at it and what you come into it with your own experiences as, and yeah, what you see in the actor's portrayal. So yeah, but I think it's safe to say it's not like a Snoke grooming situation. <laughs> no, it's. It seems pretty clear from the trailer that Han is given a choice and yeah. he's smiling as he says, yes, we're in. And, you know, like it's, yeah, it's much lighter. Exactly. Yeah. And even in this like little piece, it says Han sort of forces himself into Woody's life. So that implies it's not really like he's being seduced into this life of crime by this never like scoundrel. He's actually like trying to like team up with this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, then we have a bit on Val, who's played by Fandy Newton, and yeah, so we have this implication that she's connected to Beckett, and like the main thing we get about Val in her own right is that she's not particularly impressed by Han Solo, which I appreciate. I like to see people judging him and being like, ah, eh, not impressed. <laughs> yeah, I feel like they have to have a certain character in the background, like making snide remarks and judgments, because then they have to have that person kind of proven wrong at some point. Right. When yeah. Han does kind of earn the things that he's perhaps bragging about or pretending to be. So yes. I don't expect this to be a substantial role, but again, I'm excited by it because she's another great actress and yeah, this yeah. cast is looking awesome. So. Yeah. Fandy Newton's so cool. Mm-hmm. And I really like her hairstyle in the picture. Yeah. <laughs> she, she's an amazing effort. <laughs> Um, and then the last character that's touched upon is Dryden Voss, who's Paul Bettany's character, and he basically took over for Michael K. Williams. I think that Michael K. Williams was playing like a character who filled the same function in the in the narrative, mm-hmm. but he actually had quite a different character originally, so it was kind of rewritten. Um, yeah, so there's this suggestion that. Dryden Voss is like this godfather or crime boss and he's very sophisticated and yeah I, I'm very intrigued by this sort of character Kirsty. like what did you get from this about him? Yeah when they talk about like combination of class and swagger and danger um, you almost wonder if these characters are being there as like foils for maybe the one of the many directions that Han's journey could have taken him Right, that he could have eventually been this kind of person in a different life. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, that's true. And I like that they point out that he's kind of like the more handsome like version of someone like Jabba, <laughs> because obviously Paul Bettany is a good-looking guy, um, whereas like Jabba is like this monstrous slug monster, <laughs> mm-hmm. and there's obvious 
like signaling in having like this crime boss be so ugly and disgusting in Return of the Jedi. And I think it'll be interesting to see someone who's actually more like appealing and attractive and seeing like how they use that to their advantage. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then to move on from that, the last thing is that we have more insight into what went down with the Lord and Miller situation for Solo and why Ron Howard came on board. And this whole article was just so painfully awkward. It was really quite excruciating to read because it's kind of like, well, they have to fess up to this to a certain extent because obviously everyone knows. So they can't hide it or pretend it didn't happen. But at the same time, they're still coaching everything in like deep PR speak about how, oh, they're such wonderful creatives and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> it's like... Yeah, I mean, basically what they're saying here is kind of what we surmised um, when it all went down, right? That there were all these rumours about how they were improvising too much. And while she thinks mm. that, that stuff was great in and of itself, it wasn't what they needed for this movie. Like, they needed yeah. to have more structure and discipline, which is fair enough. Yes. But yeah, you're right. All of this stuff is very awkward. Yeah, exactly. I, I could kind of, like, sense the tension in the room when, like, Bresnikin was, like, asking these questions. <laughs> and her being like, okay, I need to answer this. I told him to ask me these questions, but I still don't want to answer them. Yeah. And she's gracious, you know. She says, like, it's very unfortunate. They were very talented. They're great people. It just didn't work out. So we had to make mm. this tough decision. So Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, so it's good to see them like acknowledging things a bit more openly. Yeah, we didn't really get that with Rogue One, did we? No. <laughs> they kind of just tried to pretend it was all good. I think they could like paper over it because um Gareth Edwards agreed to the reshoots and to let basically someone else take over the film. Yeah. Like towards the end. Um but Lord and Miller were not prepared to do that. So yeah, I'll see a different situation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so then the next part is basically about how Ron Howard joined the project. And I'll just read out a little bit because I need to remind myself of why he joined the project. (laughs) When I learned that this change, as in Lord and Miller being fired, was happening, it just came in a moment where I was working on lots of new projects for Imagine and I had not planned to direct anything last year. So then this came my way, and I was talking to Kathy and the now tragically late Ali Shearmer, an old friend. I was reluctant, but I also began to feel that I could help. So, yeah, I kind of get the suggestion from that, that he kind of came on board because he wanted to do his friends a (laughs) favour, which is nice. And I appreciate the honesty in the answer, to be honest, because, yeah, it's clear it was kind of like a, oh, shit, these people need me situation. Yeah, and that was kind of the vibe that we had at the time, right? That he was obviously someone, like, very closely connected with Lucasfilm and George Lucas and Kathleen Kennedy. And, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, he was someone that they could rely on to to do a good job. It was kind of a known quantity. Exactly. And yeah, then the last like bit here is that George Lucas apparently came on set um, when Ron Howard was like working on Solo, and like Bresnikin like builds it up, oh, builds seriously? it up, and builds okay. it up, <laughs> and he essentially suggests that George Lucas helped direct a small part of Solo. And it's really ridiculous to be honest, because it sounds like what actually happened is that. 
George hung around for quite a while and he like gave like Ron Howard like some words of wisdom about what he would do and what he would have hand do in that situation. And it's like he kind of advised for like a day, but don't go that far, man. <laughs> it's like chill. Yeah, this to me is like very transparently PR. Like, oh, don't worry, George Lucas approves of the new solo. <laughs> it's all great. <laughs> yeah. It's the same style of PR as those all, like, so they had a whole article on, like, Han Solo talking to Alden and, like, giving him advice and stuff. It's exactly the same kind of thing. You know, it's about saying the people from the old Star Wars fully approve of and support this new Star Wars, so you should too. Yeah, and I, I don't That's mind it, because I get it, they have to market it, but that is what it is, it's marketing. So, like, yeah, yeah we, we've heard, I think George also went to the Rogue One set, he I don't know if he visited The Last Jedi. I don't come out to say that. But they made a point of saying he loved the movie. Um, so, yeah, it's like, what, what else is he going to say? And what else are they going to say? Like, if he didn't like it, they they kind of tried to gloss over it. Like, I think he had some things about The Force Awakens, which were quite passive aggressive in terms of like, oh, it wasn't what I would do. Or, oh, it's what the... Yeah. I think he said it was what the fans would love or something that was just very... Yes. Like, yeah, which is true, but... <laughs> very transparent yeah he wasn't trying very hard to hide his feelings so yeah in other words george lucas helped direct a small part of solo okay <laughs> sure whatever you say yeah so it's oh, nice that he's God. such a cheerleader for lucasville yeah no it's sweet that he's behind them like this um right and then now that we've finally got through that enormous splodge of solo stuff seriously so much it's insane it's exciting that we um, finally have it though because yeah i mean no definitely it made sense that they waited until after the last jedi like i know people were like oh maybe they'll show a trailer before the last jedi but i'd have been surprised if we'd got something like that because of the brand confusion and all but yeah now is the time we're only a few months away so yeah more exactly it's full solo season and i doubt there'll be that much let up now to be honest because there's probably gonna be stuff quite in quite a regular fashion because there's not much time left to market this film in mm-hmm. so they need to pack it in yeah um but yeah i definitely feel more excited about solo especially now i've talked to you about it for this podcast so yeah it's good and i'm looking forward to more mm-hmm. um but yeah now that we have finally done talking about that it's actually time to do some questions which i know this probably won't seem real because yeah we almost never get to questions but we are getting to questions and it's happening. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We did questions Um, last week, but they were about Luke in Addison. Yeah. So for different, but. Exactly. Yeah. That doesn't really count. These are the email ones and the Luke questions were about, um, were from Twitter. So yeah, we're doing it properly this time. And if you want to email us any questions, please email them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. And I promise it will try and be better at answering them. (laughs) Because, yeah, we do really love getting your emails. Honestly, we do appreciate them. I know that we don't really reply via email when people send questions in. But we do read them. And we do always intend to discuss them. It's just Star Wars happens. And it happens in surprising volumes often. (laughs) So we often find we'll be podcasting for like four hours. And they'll be like, oh, God, do we still need to do questions? And, yeah, often... It's hard to muster up the strength, but today we have the strength, so it's going to happen. Yeah, we should probably be more disciplined with it and just like answer one or two per week, like right at the end. Yeah, but... yeah, it's true. Then we wouldn't have such a backlog. 
So, yeah, we need to get better at that. Uh, yeah, do you want to read the first question from Emily, Kirsty? Sure. Hi, ladies. Love your podcast. What do you think of duality of Kylo and Ben? Are we meant to consider them two different people or are they still the same? I've seen a lot of fans engage in separating Ben from Kylo, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. Kylo might be the baddie, even unhinged, as seen in the third act, but he is part of the very same person Ben is. It would seem unnatural or even dangerous to reject that darker part of self, especially after all Kylo's been through. I guess I just don't want to see Kylo go and be replaced with puppy eyes Ben, however lovely that is. What are your thoughts? I agree with Emily. Yeah, basically the same, that he is the same person, and I almost feel like that's the point of the story. Um, mm. And Kylo has those puppy eyes just as much as Ben. Like, it's the same dude. Yeah. It's, that's the point. Yeah, I think the story needs to be that Kylo accepts Ben as part of himself because in The Force Awakens, he's like, he was weak and foolish like his father, so I destroyed him, or words to that effect. And he needs to learn that that's a mistake and he can never re- truly destroy that part of himself. And I think he was already learning that lesson in The Last Jedi in some heavy ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think episode nine needs to be him really coming to terms of that and actually embracing the Ben Solo part of himself and acting upon that um, without actually like sacrificing, like Emily says, those darker parts of his nature because they're also part of him now and he can't erase what he's done. And it can't be like swi- like flipping a switch and suddenly he's back to being good old Ben Solo. You know, that'd be freaking boring. <laughs> it doesn't even make any sense because the Ben that we see in those flashbacks, that's still Kylo. Like when Luke's like, yeah, he had dark thoughts and he had this weirdly, presumably slightly contentious relationship with his uncle. And, you know, that's all there. It's not, it wasn't like that was the night he became a different person. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I agree. Right. So the next question is from Amaria. Your podcast is my favourite. Thank you very much. I always look forward to hearing you guys and analyse the characters in movies. In your last podcast, which I'm sure is a long time ago now, you talked about Ray's journey in The Last Jedi. Yep, definitely a long time ago. <laughs> Rachel also pointed out that she believes Kylo's vision was of Ray's parents. This confuses me because he has already seen, or at least knows, about her parents before this. In the shirtless scene, he illustrates that Ray's parents threw her away like garbage. Sorry, I'm laughing because I just still can't quite believe that we have the shirtless scene. And I'm not sure if he actually saw saw who Ray's parents are in the interrogation scene in The Force Awakens. But he knows that Ray sees Han Solo as the father she has never had. So he knows something about it. I just wanted to get your opinion. Him bringing up her parents before his vision confuses me. Um, my read of that was kind of like he had this general impression from her of, oh, I've been abandoned, I've been thrown away. And he had that read of her as like one of her like darker, more suppressed feelings because she didn't want to actively acknowledge that because that would be a step towards facing the truth. And then I think him saying, I know about your parents, I think that's like on another level because I think when they touched hands, he actually did see a concrete vision. Like he saw presumably them on Jakku. Maybe he saw the moment when they sold her to Plut. And he obviously saw them dead because he says as much. So, yeah. Like I think it's just a question of he had a vague impression. And he was acknowledging that with his earlier comments to her. But then when they touched hands, he got something much more solid. Yeah, because 
when he says like they threw you away like garbage that was kind of the impression that I had from The Force Awakens and I didn't know anything definitive but it was kind of just mm. like the implication of well she was left on Jakku this story doesn't end well um, yeah so yeah like and and it's about kind of drawing this parallel between the characters that that's how he felt too right yeah. obviously in a very different way um but yeah like I feel like the visions are intentionally vague and we're not we might not even ever get an answer or at least not in the movies. It depends on whether JJ mm. chooses to follow it up. Cause I've seen, there's all sorts of theories about, well, maybe the visions were about the throne room scene itself and they just interpreted that differently when they saw it and all this. So um, it's not something I want to spend too much time thinking about. It's almost like when people analyzed obsessively um, Ray's vision in the force awakens, I don't <laughs> think you're yes. going to get answers and you're probably going to confuse yourself the more you think about it. So yeah, I just feel like it serves its purpose within the story of them. Like, yes, they saw visions of each other. It's all very epic and romantic. And then things go wrong because visions and Star Wars always go wrong. Yeah. And you shouldn't trust them. <laughs> uh, yep. So then the next question is from Katie. Um, would you like to read this one, Kirsty? Sure. I've been listening to your recent podcast where you discuss Kylo's arc in The Last Jedi, and I'm loving it so far, especially since I've been trying to piece together Kylo's arc myself. I can't wait to listen to your other podcasts. A question did come up while listening, and I don't know if you answer these kinds of questions or not. Earlier on in the podcast, I believe you guys came to the conclusion that Kylo still loves and needs his parents, no matter how, how hard he tries not to. Um, he's torn apart over Han, he can't shoot at Leia. So when he says to let the past die, is this just a part of that emotionless facade he's trying to convey? Because it seems contradictory that he'd go from I still need my parents to I hate my past, I hate that they abandoned me, let it all die. You guys don't have to answer, but I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, I think for me, it all goes back to this whole idea of Kaido as someone who's completely riddled of contradictions. Like, he's always going against himself in all these like very heightened ways. And I think this is perhaps the most heightened way, because he like professes to Ray, oh you should kill the past, you should let everything die and then move forward and create something new together. But he's the one who can't let the past die, he can't move on from it. And that's why he keeps on making these mistakes and he keeps on like becoming mired in rage and anger because he's fixated on all the past wrongs that were done to him. So yeah, I think that when he says let the past die it's about him trying very, very hard to move on from his parents and act like he can let them die, like it's nothing. But we know from what we've seen of him, from his behaviour, that that is not true and that he's lying to himself. And I think at the end of the film, he recognises that as well because he's like pentient when he's holding like the dice from the Falcon. And I think, well, my interpretation of that is that it symbolises... The fact that he's recognising everything that he's lost and that a part of him still desperately wants and craves that. And I think he's even appreciating that in that moment. And that's why it's so tragic, because even though he's coming to realise that, he has no way of getting back there. He can't return to that place because he's done too much and he's gone too far. Yeah, I mean, we've talked a lot about how Kylo is supposed to be kind of at this adolescent stage of life, right? And it kind of comes mm. back to the prodigal son archetype that you can really see in the character. Um, that the teenage years are kind of when people try to separate themselves from their family. And you can have a lot of this, oh, I hate my parents uh, 
like there's that distinction though you're trying to find your own identity and it's not always healthy when you sometimes you can be quite mean and not particularly grateful to the people who raised you because you're at the point where you are trying to like show how different you are from your parents um Mm. but after that there has to come this reconciliation where someone actually grows up and starts to appreciate what their family did for them or however whatever the version of that would be for kylo because i know obviously there's a lot of suffering there too like luke considered killing him so we'll see how that goes uh but for his mum specifically as well like we see that in the last jedi that he can't do it so there's a level of attachment there that he's probably not ready to admit to himself but we know mm. that Kylo loves to deny things to himself. So, yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's all part of the story that he's desperately trying to let the past die and he's kind of defined himself on those terms, but that's not enough because I think we've said before, like, you can try and define yourself in terms of what you aren't, but if you mm. don't have something positive to work towards, then like, what are you doing? That's not healthy. Yeah. Um, exactly. So you have to say what you and that's what Leia tells Holdo. Right. In um, Leia. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, right. Then the final question today is from Marco. Not really a question. I have a nice email. Yeah. No, this is true. It's more like just a nice loving to make us feel good about ourselves. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. So from Marco. Hi. I'm just a fan of breakdown and analysis primarily and pretty detached from a lot of online fandom. However, when it comes to discussion of the new Star Wars trilogy, I find your approach to be one of the more stimulating and thought-provoking on the internet. This is so nice. (laughs) All I hear when I listen to your podcast is two individuals analysing, then through discourse, attempting to approach a coherent breakdown of a specific subject matter. Why do you and others receive abuse for shipping? Is it due to the cognitive shortcuts people take? They are obsessed by soundbites. So if something has been labelled and that label is negative, the process goes as follows. Do not try to understand why, just assume the thing is negative, adopt the normative approach, and criticise. Also fear, the older generation of fans that grew up with the original trilogy are so psychologically entrenched with how things should be, because that's how things used to be, are terrified of any form of formulaic change. It it is just storytelling, and and it can creatively go anywhere, as long as it works. You called it right from the beginning and were able to back it up by referencing ancient storytelling motifs. What you're doing is much more important than just talking about Star Wars. You are seeing into the truth of things. More pe- most people on planet Earth are easily swayed to think a certain way. It takes the courage of your conviction to stand by your own perception. The podcast is not redundant, it is relevant. As it serves as a reminder to always back yourself, the two of you provide a unique insight into the world of Star Wars. Thanks, Marco. Oh, that is such a nice email. I know, I don't even know what to say. It's so nice. (laughs) Yeah, it's lovely, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we certainly talk a lot of crap on the podcast too. (laughs) We try to have fun with it and also try to be serious and analytical at times because you want to have a mix and at the end of the day we're here to entertain people. Like People want to listen to be entertained, not just informed. Um, Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're just kind of sharing our perception of the story. And we know mm-hmm. that our perception for a long time was not well looked on by the fandom. And to an extent, that's still the case. But I feel like people mm-hmm. are kind of seeing it more. But now we have the second chapter. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think a lot of it is because we were pretty unabashed about the fact that we were shippers. Like, we're mm-hmm. not interested in trying to 
distance ourselves from a community that receives a lot of derision from the wider fandom because I think a lot of that is down to sexism. Um, yeah. Just because we're interested in that aspect of a story. Like, that's not okay to some people, but we don't care. We're not here to please those people. We're here to entertain yeah. our listeners. So. Yeah, it's such a nice email. And thank you very, very much, Marco, for sending that in because... Like there are moments when it is a bit tiring dealing with all the like discourse and drama that seems pretty relentless in Star's fandom, to be honest. Um, <laughs> so getting stuff like this is really affirming and nice to see, and yeah, it makes us feel good about what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not like it's some kind of like divine mission <laughs> from like on high to like talk about Star Wars, but it's certainly something we enjoy a great deal, and we know other people for various reasons i imagine (laughs) enjoy hearing us talk about stars as well and that's just a lovely thing because talking about stars makes us happy and the fact that other people enjoy listening to us and find some interest or pleasure in hearing what we have to say that's fantastic and yeah that makes me really happy so it's it's a great thing Mm -hmm. me too (laughs) sorry um i guess it's fine when we get it's very lovely but sometimes yes. when we get like really lovely messages and I got another one this morning from someone, I'm like, this is so nice. Like it's it's a really good feeling to feel like people listened and get something from the podcast. And it wasn't something that I'd really thought about before we started it. It was just kind of like, oh yeah, we're just going to do this. But yeah. Yeah. It's, it's really great. It is awesome. Yeah. And just to quickly answer the question about why do you and others receive abuse for shipping? Um... I think Marco actually hits on a lot of the points that as to why this is. I think it's like probably a more like modern way of engaging with the material. Still, me wrong. Shipping has always existed. Like shipping has been like a known phenomenon since the original Star Trek series in the sixties. So it's hardly like it's new in the twenty-first century. But I certainly think it's more mainstream now in the way that it never was like in the 70s or 80s when the original trilogy was happening and it was certainly something that a lot of people won't have even been remotely aware of in relation to things like Star Wars so I think that now that it is more mainstream and you find like Vanity Fair commenting on shipping and all these different blogs talking about it I think it's kind of in the mainstream more and I think that unsettles some people because they feel like it's this weird thing that's the antithesis of the proper fandom, like whatever that is, and that it's the wrong way of interacting with this material. Probably because it's considered new and also because it's such a feminine way of interacting with the material um, and all those kinds of complicated reasons. Um, but yeah, it's like a series of factors and it's annoying, but yeah, I, I kind of deal with it. I'm quite resilient, to be honest, and I'm quite good at not letting things like this bother me, so... Yeah, I'm not too worried. <laughs> so that's such like a feeble way to end that response. Yeah, like it, it does surprise me when when we see these articles, like you you mentioned, the reference shipping. Because I don't know if I just wasn't paying attention, but before the Force Awakens, I didn't know what shipping was, and now all of a sudden mm. I see it referenced everywhere. So I'm like, was this always a thing? And I just didn't pick up on that because it wasn't something yeah. that related to my life. Um, mm. but I think the cringe thing is now is that you get a lot of people talking about it and they don't really know what it is or like they don't know the things that are going on in the fandom but they try and comment on them as if they do so yes. you get a lot of misinformation about like oh this fandom thinks this and they're feuding with this and it's like no they're not 
Yeah. This is just completely made up. Yeah, and there wasn't there some article that said like Raylos were feuding with Kylo's yeah. fans. It's like a lot of people yeah. shit both. And I was kind of like looking at it and was like, what? Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like, when did that yeah, happen? Not, that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dearie me. Like, fandom is so freaking weird. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And on that fine note, I think that's a good point at which to end this. I am Rachel, and you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and at Journal for Star Wars on WordPress. Where can people find you, Kirsty? I'm Basil Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, and until next time, bye! Bye! Bye.